0: All right, well, if you have a Bible, you may want to be turning to Acts and chapter 14. We're going to be reading that shortly. But before then, let me ask you a question. And the question is this, and it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a personal question, but you don't have to answer it directly to me. You can have, answer it in your own mind. The question is this, how much do you care about what other people think about you? How much do you care about what others think about you? Are there things that you would love to do, but you don't do them because you think, oh, I don't know if I dare do that, because what would people say? What would people think? Maybe you would love to walk down the street singing ABBA songs at the top of your voice in public. Maybe you would love to change your hairstyle or the way you look or the clothes you wore, but you're not so sure how it would go over. Maybe you would want to change your university course, the, the course that you've chosen for university, but you really don't know how your parents would feel about that. I had to do that when I was 18. I switched from doing, studying law to biblical studies. did not go over well. Um, Maybe there's someone who you really like and you want to tell them how you feel about them, but you're not quite sure how that's going to go. Maybe you would love to give an honest opinion about a topic, but you think, I don't know if I say this in person, whether people will turn against me or block me on Facebook. Maybe you'd love to tell more people about Jesus, but you really don't know what the response will be there, and maybe you feel you will be misunderstood. If we're honest, most of us worry about what other people think about us. We can go out for an evening with friends, and when we come home or on the car journey on the way home, we start to analyse all the conversation, what's been said. Oh, do you think when I said this, they're going to feel that? And we go over the whole thing in the vehicle. And sometimes our spouse says, "Oh, when you said this, that wasn't good." And it's all uh, analysed on the way home. Never, never happens apparently <laughs> in this family here. <laughs> It's difficult when you're out uh, personally because you can let the image that you want people to see of you slip and they see some more of your true self. And we feel uncomfortable about that. On social media, maybe we feel we can control that a little bit more. We take time to portray what looks like an idyllic family life. But the reality is often much more Mundane. We've got a slide here of uh, someone who might have got a new puppy, and they're portraying what wonderful life is with their new puppy, but the reality is just cleaning up mess. And that's often what the reality of our lives are like. We can want to show the world an idealized version of ourselves, a perfect version of ourselves, but the reality is cleaning up mess. Um, Some of us... Thinking about and being concerned about what people think of us becomes all-consuming and crippling. We're constantly in fear uh, that people will discover the real me. We're sure that they won't want to know us if they do. And we're always looking for clues to get affirmation because we feel so insecure. We're always looking for clues to get affirmation that people really do like us, that people really are our friends. We can measure that in different ways. And one of the ways that I used to measure that was by counting the number of birthday cards that I used to get each year. And then what I would do is when it got to Debbie's birthday, I would count the number of birthday cards that she got. And if she got more than me, then I would feel like kind of insecure about that, and I would say, oh, I only got so many birthday cards. Debbie's smiling, because she knows this is true. Um, And Debbie would say to me, well, look, it's because you don't send anyone any birthday cards. They just don't send them back to you, which is also true. Um, Anyway, more recently, obviously, in recent times, people have stopped sending birthday cards as much. At least they have to me. Um, (laughs) I got four this year. Um... (laughs) In these days of of social media, there are other ways that we can measure uh, how popular we might be and what people might think of us. So we might count the number of Facebook likes that we have on a post that uh, that we put out or see how many Facebook friends we have or apply that to whatever social media platform you might use. Lots of ways that we can try to measure subtly what people think of us as we spend much of our time trying to gain people's approval. Now, you might wonder, how does this fit into Acts chapter 14? I've read Acts chapter 14 um, and I don't see it. Well, hopefully we'll find that out right now. So I'm just gonna read the passage in a moment. Last week, Passionate spoke from the end of Acts chapter 14 verse 20 onwards, on us having a steadfast faith. And Paul and Barnabas were returning to cities that they had visited previously and shared the gospel in, and they're encouraging the people who had turned to Jesus. And they were encouraging them to remain steadfast and true to the faith, telling them they must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This week we're going to skip back a little because we never really read verses 1 through 20. We never saw what happened the first time Paul and Barnabas visited these cities. And as we read them, we'll see that there's quite a roller coaster ride for Paul and Barnabas in these two cities that we're going to look at. The number of hardships thrown in there. We'll read from verse 1 of chapter 14 through to verse 20. It says this, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra, and Derby, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way since birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up to your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're only, we too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. All right, so here's a quick summary of what we've just read. First of all, Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium. They preach about Jesus. They see quite a number of people, Jews and Gentiles, believe. That must have been pretty exciting for them. It's always exciting when you preach and you see people turn to Jesus, um, so that's a good start, but then the ones who didn't believe started poisoning the minds of those others in the city, and they tried to turn them against Paul and Barnabas, maybe they started to spread lies and rumors about Paul and Barnabas, pretty nasty, I think I've said before when I was preaching here about how when we were in our 20s, myself and Debbie, we were leading the youth group at our church in the UK, and suddenly some of our team, key team, started to leave the team. We didn't know why. We thought we were doing okay. We got on well with them. We found out what was happening was another woman in the church had started spreading rumors and lies about us. They started uh, telling people that Debbie was a witch and that I was into black magic um, and, uh, and people were like, oh yeah, he does do uh, children's party tricks at, at parties, so maybe he is into uh, other things. And people started to believe some of those things. It wasn't true. Um, but a few people did back off from us and leave our team. So, rumors and lies can be very difficult. Difficult sometimes to, to get the truth through. Paul and Barnabas weren't deterred by this. They double down. They decide they're going to stay even longer in the city. And then God even enables them to do miraculous signs and miracles. So people aren't sure. I don't know. They've heard these things about Paul and Barnabas. Don't know whether to believe them or not. No, nope. Paul and Barnabas then are doing miracles which attest to the truth of what they're saying. We don't know what miracles they did. It doesn't say. In one sense, the whole point was they were, they were giving credibility to the message that Paul and Barnabas were preaching and that was the important part. Still, must have been pretty exciting for Paul and Barnabas to have those things going on, to be able to do those miracles, to be able to see more people come to faith and I would pray that we see more miracles here. Um, great to see healings, great to see other things happen for their own sake but also to show that God is a living and active God and is at work and to verify the word that is preached as well, both here in meetings and also out as we meet people and talk to them in our daily lives. Anyway, that's what happens there. Eventually, there's a plot to stone Paul and Barnabas, the thing that happened to Stephen when he got killed, people throwing stones uh, and killing them. And uh, again, clearly a number of people not thinking well of Paul and Barnabas, So because their lives are in danger, they flee to another city, Lystra. Keep telling people about Jesus. In Lystra, Paul's preaching. There's this lame man. He gets healed. And then everyone's like amazed. Wow, this is incredible. They start speaking in their own language. And they're saying, these are the gods who've come down to us. They believed in the Greek gods and so they said this must be Zeus the king of the gods um, for Barnabas and they said um, Paul he's the main speaker so he must be Hermes he was the messenger of the gods if you know anything about Greek, um, Greek gods and Greek mythology so they start to say we're going to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods and Paul, and Paul and Barnabas don't know what's going on at first because they're speaking in the Lyconian language. Paul and Barnabas don't understand it. But then suddenly they kind of figure out what's happening because this high priest of, um, of Zeus comes and he's got a lot of bulls and some wreaths and he's going to sacrifice these bulls to Paul and Barnabas. So when they realize what's going on, they're like, oh, this is terrible. And they start to tear their clothes. That's a sign of uh, heresies about to happen. And they're running into the crowd, um, away I guess, away from this guy who's wanting to make a sacrifice to them. And as they're running into the crowd, they're still preaching and, and teaching. You get the little message that, that Paul is speaking to the people there. And he's like, no, 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 don't worship idols. And, and God's done all these things for you. And, um, you know, they try to get away. The crowd is still wanting to give sacrifices to them. If Paul and Barnabas wanted to find somewhere where they were going to be popular, they found it in spades. Because here they are, people are thinking that they are gods. And they don't want that, but that's what people are thinking. But then it says right away, some people show up from Antioch and uh, Iconium, the two cities they've just been in, and they're, they're, trying, they're against Paul and Barnabas. And it says they won the crowd over. We, we don't know what they said, but all we do know is that suddenly this crowd, who have just been wanting to worship and sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, are dragging them out and stoning Paul, I guess because he was the main speaker, he's the one they, they stoned, and they, they got to the point where they're throwing these stones at him, they thought Paul was dead. So they drag him out of the village and they leave him there thinking he is dead, The disciples gather around him, presumably to pray. Paul gets up, revives, and then he thinks, let's go back into the city. That seems crazy to me, but that's what he does. I don't know, maybe he'd left his iPad there um, and all his notes. Um, (laughs) I don't know why he went in, but he does. And then the next day, they go on to Derby and they continue telling people about Jesus. I mean, what kind of life is this? I mean, things are just changing on a dime. They're changing so quickly. How do Paul and Barnabas cope with this? Do people love them? Or do people hate them? One minute they're doing miracles, people are coming to Christ. The next they're being chased out of the city. One minute they're seeing someone healed and they're being worshipped as gods. The next they're being stoned. And Paul says later on to the new believers, when he goes back to these places, he says, hey, there's going to be hardships. Well, yeah, they've seen that. And you've got to remain steadfast. You've got to remain firm in the faith. How? How do they do that? How do they not get carried away by popular acclaim, the wave of popularity, like some so-called celebrity preachers have done? There's many examples. You only have to Google on the internet preacher who has got many people and and lots of people coming to their church lots of people watching them online and suddenly you realize it's all gone to their heads and they're getting involved in things they shouldn't be getting involved in and they're just believing all the hype that is said about them you'll even be able to think of some happens a lot and how do you not get super discouraged by the criticism that comes by the opposition that comes I know, as someone who preaches regularly, and I know talking to others who preach as well, that even though we get quite a lot of encouragement and affirmation about messages that we preach, there'll be times when people have conversations with us about, and they they say, well, actually, I I disagree with that, or I was upset by this, or this, I, I just didn't go with this that you said. And obviously, you want to try and help those people, you want to apologize where necessary, but those encounters, I'd affect you, and I know where that's happened with me, it, it can affect you for days, and you can forget about all the positive things, but I say, oh no, I said this, and I shouldn't, how do Paul and Barnabas cope with the extremes that they're having, because it's not just one, the people are trying to kill them, now, that's never happened to me, <laughs> others of us might just long to tell family and friends about Jesus, but we know we might get kicked back. We might have said something in our family situation, and there's backlash. There's opposition. We feel it, and it affects us. Often we worry that people will judge us, say things about us that aren't true. Oh, you're a Christian. You're going to believe this. You're going to be anti this, and anti that, and against this. And you think, no, 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 that's not true. But still, people think that. We might lose friendships over it. It's very difficult. How did Paul and Barnabas cope with it? Hundredfold. To find the answer, we're going to go to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians because he gives some insight in this letter. So you might want to turn to First Corinthians in chapter um, 4. To give a bit of background, Paul's been speaking to the Corinthians about how there's some division in the church in Corinth. Because people have been picking and choosing their favorite leaders. Paul started the church off and then he left and this guy Apollos came in. And now some of the people there are saying, oh, do you know what? We really miss Paul. We're really siding with him. We wish he was here. We're we're Paul's men and women. We're with Paul. And then others were saying, no, 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 We're, we're with Apollos. Apollos is bringing these things and he's really doing this and encourages them in this way. We're with Apollos. Well, we're with Paul. We're with Apollos. Some people are getting super spiritual. We're with Christ. And it's all sorts of things going on. People are getting divided because of who they follow in leadership. I'm sure no one does that with leaders here. But it can be something, even as a leader, as someone who preaches, that can consume you because our minds, and we'll go into this in a minute, our minds and our our egos play these tricks on us and lead us into thinking in certain ways. So I may not spend my time counting birthday cards anymore. It doesn't take me long to do that anyway. Um, But uh, I might start counting the number of YouTube views on the messages that I preach and start comparing them to the number of YouTube views that Joe might have had, or Passionate might have had, or Jody might have had, and I think, oh, okay, well, I'm, I, I don't seem to be getting as many views as they are, or maybe if there's a message I preach that does get more, I'll be like, oh, that's great, I'm getting more views than they are. I'm kind of joking, but it, it, only kind of, because it's a serious temptation that can come in. Here's what Paul says about that. He says this, verse, chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 3. Just gonna read two verses. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, that doesn't make me innocent, it's the Lord who judges me. What's Paul saying here? Paul isn't starting to tell people that they should follow him. They should be on his side. Now, it's his letter. He could be subtly undermining Apollos if he wants, just putting these things. Oh, well, of course, Apollos isn't as experienced as I am, and I can understand why some of you are struggling with him. And He's not doing any of that. He's not taking the opportunity there. He's actually putting the axe at the root of one of the fundamental things that our society hugely values and says that we need and that is self-esteem. I'm going to explain why he's doing that in a minute, but he's putting the axe to the root of self-esteem. And it's completely countercultural to us. So much of our society is geared towards raising our self-esteem, helping us to think more highly of ourselves when we have low self-esteem. But self-esteem is actually a very dangerous thing when it comes to the kingdom of God because God never encourages us to think more highly of ourselves. It's interesting, actually, most cultures and societies in the world believe that many of the world's problems actually come from people thinking too highly of themselves, having too much self-esteem, being puffed up, Paul says it in verse 6 here. He calls people being puffed up, thinking highly of themselves, It's actually only here in the West that people see issues in society coming from people having low self-esteem and not thinking highly enough of themselves. Either way, it doesn't matter. Because in either way of thinking, our focus is on our ego, our own selves. If we're too full of ourselves, we're always wanting people to think how amazing we are. If we have low self-esteem, we're always focusing on how people are thinking negatively towards us. And it's our ego that is wanting that attention the whole time. And our ego is damaged. And we know it's damaged because it always is drawing our attention to it. It's a sure sign. Because when our body is damaged, it draws attention to itself. That's how we know we're injured. I played soccer the other week, and I got, came back away with some kind of injury to my hip. And so for most of the last week, I've been focusing quite a lot on how my hip is feeling. I've been thinking a lot about my hip because it is damaged. And so it's drawing attention. It's, I'm feeling something all the time. It's getting my attention. Oh, just be careful. Don't move like that. Do that. Because it's damaged. I didn't spend much time last week thinking about how wonderfully my elbow was working. I just didn't give it any thought because it was fine. It was working fine. It was the part of my body that wasn't working well that I'm drawn to thinking about. Our ego is always drawing attention to itself. It always wants feeding, because something is wrong with it. Our ego is always wanting to make us think about how we look, what people think about us, how we've been treated. And it's never happy. We might sometimes say, oh, we've been really offended by someone. Our feelings have been really hurt by someone. But in reality, what it is, is it's our ego that hurts. It's our sense of self that has been undermined. Our sense of identity, our sense of who we are. That's where that feeling of offense comes from. Our ego always wants to be satisfied, but it never is satisfied in the areas that it searches in. So our ego always wants us to have more social media likes, more followers, but it will never have enough. Once we've got to a certain point, we'll be constantly thinking, oh, oh no, no, I've lost five followers. I've lost, I've got fewer likes this week. I've got, and you're always looking, how many people, how many people, how many followers, how many likes? It will become obsessed with it. Your ego will always be looking to feel that you are doing better than someone else. It might be your brother or sister. You might always be wanting to get one over your brother or sister to show that you're better than them, for others to see that you're better than them, competing against other people. It might be your spouse. It might be your work colleagues. It might be other people in church. It's pretty horrible, really, when we look at it too closely, but our damaged ego is at work in most of us. But Paul has discovered another way. And this is what he says in verse 3. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Paul's not looking to the Corinthians to get approval. He's not thinking, oh, some of you follow Apollos, some of you follow me. How many of you following me? Is it 60%, 70%? Is it 50-50? Am, am is it 30 with me and 70 with... He's not bothered. He says, I care very little. I care very little. He's not looking to get favor from people in Lystra, Lystra when he goes. When people start to worship him, he's horrified because he's like, only God needs worship. It's very different to what Herod had the a few weeks ago, remember. He doesn't want that kind of acclaim. He's running from it. And he's not overly discouraged when people are against him. People speak badly against him, he says, Do you know what, we need to preach the truth even more here. Let's come on, let's keep going, let's stay here a while longer. Even when his life's at stake, he runs, but he still is preaching. And he still goes back to those places later on. He's not scared to go back. His attitude is, I really don't care what you think about me. I'm not I'm not bothered about what your judgment is on me. Wow. I mean, most people would say that's an amazing place to be able to get to. And many counselors, people go to therapists, counselors, and and that's the aim almost. It's like you've got to escape what people think of you. Get out from under that pressure, that expectation. And they say, you know, you shouldn't be looking to your parents for approval. You shouldn't be looking to others for approval. But where they often go is they, they go and say, it should only matter what you think about yourself. What you think is what matters. Don't judge, don't judge yourself by other standards. Judge yourself by your own standards. But Actually, that's no good either. Because, yeah, we can spend a lot of our lives trying to live up to the standards of parents and teachers and church leaders and society, and we feel, oh, we're terrible. But even if we get out of all of that and think, I'm just going to live up to my own standards, do you know what? We fail anyway. We're not even able to achieve that. Paul says it in Romans 7. He says, here's a list of things that I want to do, and I end up not doing them. And then the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing those. And he's tortured by it, and he says, oh, what a wretched man I am. That's what his life was like before he had come to this this point in Christ. We can't live up to our own standards very well either. And Paul doesn't try. He goes on and he says, I don't care if I'm judged by you. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I don't care about what you think about me. And do you know what? I don't give a lot of thought to what I think about myself either. He's not going around thinking about what others think of him. He's just not even thinking about himself at all. He's just getting on with what he has to do C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, and he talks about pride and gospel humility. And he says this, C.S. Lewis, he says, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking about myself more or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. I'll say that again. The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, It's thinking of myself less. Paul says, my conscience is clear. I'm not worried about these things. And then he says, "But, but that doesn't make me innocent. He's got a clear conscience. He's not worried about what people will think. He's not worried that people will spread rumors about him. He's not, he's not worried about what people will say. Oh, do you know Paul? He did this once and he used to persecute the church. He killed a man. He did it He's not worried about those things. Not because he knows he's innocent. He's just not worried about them. When he looks at his own life, he knows he persecuted the church. He knows he murdered believers. It could have devastated him. And he reflects on it in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and calls himself the worst of all sinners. Well, he's not, just, he's not just making that up. He knows the awful things that he has done. He's honest about his past. But he's not going to let it affect him because of the judgment of others. is just not important to him. And even his own judgment is not important to him. He might remember those things. He would remember those things. And he will deeply... Regret them, but he's not going to dwell on them. And Paul can do that. He can say, I'm not worried about what others think, and I'm not worried about what I think, because he's realized it's the Lord who judges me. Paul's only looking for that ultimate verdict on his life, and that only comes from God. He doesn't care what any human court thinks. He's not actually on trial. But we can feel like we're on trial when we care about what others think about us or what we think about ourselves. Day after day, we can feel like we're on trial in how we live our lives. Sometimes we feel like we're winning. Sometimes we feel like we're losing. Sometimes a bit of both in one day, whether we press through or whether we fail. For Paul, the trial is over. The verdict has come in. And the verdict came in before he'd even begun only in the gospel of Jesus do we get the verdict before the performance. At the Olympics, there's events, say the gymnastics, you have the performance, someone does the kind of whole thing, and then they're judged. Maybe all the judges mark them out of 10, and they're saying, okay, you did this right, you did that wrong, okay, we're going to give you 7.8, 8.2. They tell the performance, they judge after the performance. But in Christianity, The verdict comes first. And that leads to the performance. I think it's in Colossians. Paul says, the Father has already qualified us. It's like we don't have to go through the qualification process. We've already been qualified by the Father. The verdict leads to the performance. The verdict is in. And this is the verdict. Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 1. Therefore, there's now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The verdict is in. There is no condemnation. There's no one looking at us and saying, well, you lose points for that, and you didn't do very well there. It doesn't matter what people think, because God's given the verdict. And God isn't looking at us and saying, mm, messed up there, messed up there, messed up there. He's already given us the score. He's already delivered the verdict. Jesus' performance has been credited to us. And Jesus did it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. It was tens all around for Jesus. And God the Father says, Do you know what? That is the score that you have got. Now go and perform. Exactly as God the Father looked at Jesus at his baptism and says, This is my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Pleased. And Jesus and God the Father looks at us the same. He looks on us and he says, This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the verdict. We don't need anyone else to judge our performance. We don't need to judge our lives, ourselves. We don't need to worry about what the verdict is going to be, because Jesus went on trial. He didn't deserve the condemnation he received. He lived a perfect life, but he took it because he loved us, and he took it so we didn't have to take it. We don't have to seek acceptance from God or anyone else on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. It doesn't matter how moral we are, how religious we are, how talented we are, how kind we are. If we seek validation from those things, our ego is never going to be satisfied. Paul understood that. So when he and Barnabas were serving God, preaching from town to town, he wasn't overly bothered about what the reaction was going to be. People got healed, praise God. People spread rumors about him. Okay, it doesn't matter what people think, let's keep going. People wanted to chase him out of town or stone him. Okay, we'll move on, we're not, but it won't stop us going back. People wanted to worship him as God. No, no, we're not going to go with that. There's only one God worthy of worship. Paul had learned to endure all of these things and remain steadfast because he'd understood what God's verdict on his life already was. He wasn't trying to please others. He wasn't even trying to please God because he knew God was already pleased with him despite what he'd done in his life. Paul couldn't change the things he'd done, but he'd come to realize he could never be more acceptable to God the Father than on the day God called him on the Damascus Road. No matter how many churches he planted, no matter how many people got saved through his preaching, no matter how much hardship he endured, God's view of him never changed. Before all of that happened on the Damascus Road when Paul had been persecuting the church, the view was, you are my beloved son, I am well pleased in you. Once he's saved, once he's saved, once he's come into the kingdom of God, that is the view of God on our lives. It's the view of God on our lives too. Do you believe it? Do you believe it when it comes down to it? Most of us, if we're, hard pre- if we're pressed, we don't believe it. We still spend too much time worrying about what others think of us. We still spend too much time being offended what people have said or done to hurt our feelings, to hurt our ego. We spend too much time in our minds thinking and dreaming and planning how we can show the world that we're better than others around us, how we can show our social media friends how we're more attractive or more popular, how we can show people that we're more spiritual, more holy, more gifted, more zealous for God, that we're a better preacher than others, that we're a more talented worship leader than others, that we're a better singer or guitar player or keyboard player, that we're more willing to live more radical lives for Him, and and we can do all of those things for Him, all because we're desperate to receive that affirmation. Or we can flip it and just think how useless we are and what a failure we are. And we we cringe when we see ourselves in the mirror. And we might be full of regrets and tormented and think we can't do those things because we'll never be good enough. Constantly thinking about the things that we've messed up, full of shame. And we can flip from one to another within minutes. In the end, both of that way of thinking have the same root. It's about judging ourselves or being worried about what others think. Don't you long to be free of that? do you long to be free of all of that? Don't you long to be like Paul and say, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think about myself. I only care about what God thinks of me. And that's based on what he thinks of his son Jesus who died for me. The good news is you can be free of that. The verdict is in. All you need to do is accept it and live it out. And believe it. And have to remind yourself of it day by day by day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's what the gospel is for you. Your call might not be to go from city to city to preach the gospel. But God's called you to something. You're called to live out your life worshipping him and as a witness to him. And there's no need to pull back from fear and introspection. Let's pray that we receive God's judgment on our lives and his verdict. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Why don't we stand together as the worship band just come up and we close our meetings. I'd love to pray for us here this morning. I don't think that I'm the only one who goes through these things in my mind. I don't think I am. People at the first meeting told me I wasn't. So I'm believing that I'm not here either. So I'm going to pray for us that we can be free of these things because they affect us far too much. They affect our lives and our actions and they hold us back far too much. So let's pray let's come before our Heavenly Father. Father God, I thank you that for your love for us and I thank you that that love for us is not at all based on how we have performed. It's not at all dependent on how we do this week or how we did last week or how we've done since we've been saved or how we've done before we were saved. It's unchanging and it's 10, 10, 10 because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we have the same verdict on our life as Jesus did. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak that truth to our hearts and help us to believe it for ourselves. Help us to counter the lies that constantly come at us. Help us to stand against our ego, not to feed it, not to feed it with pride, not to feed it with self-pity. Lord, we want to just receive from you. We want that freedom that Paul had found because he knew who he was. He knew he was who you say he is. I pray we'll know who we are, that we're who you say we are. Spirit of God, come seal these truths in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.